Hi, it's Susan, and I'm an expert in helping musicians to have better relationships with themselves and with the world. This episode features Jeff Miller, trumpeter turned furniture maker, and Jeff shares how a major illness forced a career rethink, which led in turn to a portfolio career in another creative discipline. Enjoy. Welcome to the Change Your Tune podcast. I'm your host, Susan Eldridge, and today I'm delighted to welcome a guest furniture designer, craftsman, teacher and author, Jeff Miller. Jeff, welcome. Oh, so nice to be with you, Susan. Oh, it's Thank wonderful, you. wonderful to have you here. Jeff, can you tell us about your life in woodwork? Because it sounds fascinating. I have been designing building furniture uh, for 37 years now. And um, started out fairly simply making beds and tables and things like that. And over time, things got more and more complicated. And people wanted chairs, which are sort of the ultimate woodworking challenge. And um, so over the years, I've become a chairmaker as well. Fairly early on, I started writing about what I do and teaching it and have now written, I don't know, maybe 50 different articles and I'm working on my fifth book on, on woodworking. Um, and I've been teaching all over the country. Um, I have been invited out of the country, but I am on dialysis and travel is somewhat difficult to say the least. Um, so I haven't done any of that. And that kind of sums things up. So it, it sounds, Jeff, as though you have the uh, sort of the ultimate portfolio career in woodworking with um, uh, with not only the furniture making, the chair making and the master craftsmanship, but also as an author and a teacher. It's it's. It's a terrific combination of things. The teaching, the writing, and the doing all add up to so much more, and each one feeds the other two in, in very significant ways. Um, I couldn't write or teach if I didn't know what I was doing, but being exposed to students lets me see what they understand, see what they don't understand, and that informs the writing. And the writing means I have to be clear about what I'm doing so that I can teach better. And often enough, that, that also helps me in my own woodworking. So I find that the, the three, and I guess four, if I include the design, um, although that's separate from that sort of synergistic three, um, I find that everything supports everything else in, in very strong ways. Um, it's, I mean, it just speaks so strongly to your value in learning, the, the value that learning plays um, in your life. So before you were a, a lifelong learner in, in the craft of woodwork, um, you trained and had a career in music so could you tell us a bit more from the very beginnings about what that journey was for you? From the very beginnings. <laughs> very beginnings. Was, <laughs> you know, I started playing trumpet in fourth grade 
in uh, in school, and we had a spectacular music program at the school that I went to. Our high school band was led by a director who is was just a consummate musician. And I guess it was my sophomore year in high school, we were invited to an international music competition in Vienna, Austria, and we won. Um, and music was just so exciting to me. And I studied music in college and then went on to graduate school in music as well. And sort of interrupted my graduate training to go off to Singapore to play in the Singapore Symphony Orchestra. Um, came back, finished the degree, and then freelanced in New York, and then was invited to play with the Brass Quintet in Chicago. And we toured and recorded and, you know, did whatever else a chamber music group does. Um, and then things got interesting. Um, at 27, I came down with kidney disease and was really unable to keep playing. And, uh, you know, so my transition, ultimately, I think I just hit the wall of my talent, but the transition was very much a, a major life transition in that I had a, you know, a major illness to contend with as a 27 year old. And the medications made me all jittery and performance was more or less out of the question. And I had done some woodworking, uh, musical instrument making to begin with, and felt like I could design things, simple furniture at first, but um, felt strangely confident as a designer and just felt very at home with this. And, and the change was in many ways life-saving in that I had to deal with kidney disease, this, this major illness, and also with the loss of what I had been training to do for most of my life. And the woodworking and the design were such an incredible comfort to me at the time. And I have not looked back. It's such a, a powerful story, Jeff, that you share. And you, you use the phrase that the change was life-saving. And I think although your transition was precipitated by um, a major illness, there's many musicians working through injury and, um, and they are suffering and they are really unable to perform at the best they can. And not only physical injury, but um, psychological and financial distress. And I think this, this notion that we can do something else and that can be life-making for us uh, is not we don't hear these stories very often and that's why you know we're making this podcast and having these conversations is to say to, to others if the the model that you have is is damaging to you or through choice or circumstances um 
you need to not do the thing that you're doing now that that's okay that as you said comfort and creation can be found and artistry can be found in other ways it doesn't have to only be found through your musicianship um you mentioned jeff about how you started making um music musical instruments was your first foray can you tell me can you tell us a little bit more about that because i'm not imagining there's very many wooden trumpets being a horn player (laughs) you know in the renaissance there were cornettos which were wooden they were sort of played with sackbuts, which were early trombones. Um, And that was one of my earliest fascinations uh, was that, and I did also Renaissance and Baroque flutes. These were, you know, fairly, they're not simple woodworking projects, but they're fairly simple instruments. And um, I loved it. And I had to make my own tools and learn how to do that because you can't go out and buy tools for making Renaissance and Baroque woodwind instruments. Um, And that was a lot of fun um, and engendered a a great deal of confidence in my abilities to to make things. Um, I wanna get back to what you were saying though in that having learned music, it seemed so much easier to learn something else. And I felt like I had such an advantage in learning something else because learning to play on a professional level means you have to become so self-aware and um, and you just learn to learn. Um, and I think that that was very effective in woodworking. It also meant that I understood what it was to practice and to get better at something, um, which many woodworkers don't seem to believe in. Uh, and I think all of that contributed very strongly to to my success in doing something else. And I I think from from hearing what you were saying about the quality of the teaching in your high school experience, um, you probably, I'm making a bit of a leap here, but you probably had pedagogy that taught you how to learn and how to practice. And that's where, or, or maybe that came through your college teaching, but um, a lot of musicians are not not so lucky to have teachers who who foster student-led inquiry mm-hmm. and uh, student agency and, te- and and set up an environment where the students are required to take responsibility for themselves. Um, lots of music education is error detection and instruction. And, yeah. and that's what happens when musicians hit this uh, further down the pipeline of this learned helplessness or it's institutionalized helplessness because they've never had to, as you so beautifully described, learn for themselves, develop a sense of self-awareness. And the, the, the other thing that you mentioned that I think ties really beautifully is you said when you started um, making these Renaissance instruments and you couldn't go down to, to the store and buy <laughs> 
a, a medieval chisel or whatever it was you needed that you needed to make that for yourself but that confidence in that firstly the problem solving being able to clearly identify what the problem is and that sense of self-sufficiency that oh I'm I could I could have a go at solving this problem that comes from really good music teaching because that's what we should be fostering in our students in the practice room is this sense of them being having the tools <laughs> pardon the pun um right to solve the, was pro solve the problems for themselves yep sorry yeah no i was very lucky i had wonderful teachers and that was how i approached music and certainly how i've approached um everything i've done since so when you would still do Sorry. And I mean, that, that's exactly what you would, the, um, the beautiful circular, a circular economy of your um, teaching, writing and doing is it's this, this, this idea of being a lifelong learner. I was reading some research. I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes talking about um, transitions of other elite performers and that this is across um dance primarily who do a really good job with their elite performers in understanding that that their elite performance um is a, is, a, is, a, is probably a finite resource um and the same thing with football players and the the training models that embed this notion of of lifelong learning mean that when the elite performers come to the end of their performance career and move on to the next phase of their lives that they find that transition much easier Mm -hmm. If they if they self-identify as a learner, rather than this model that we often have in classical music, which is, um, but I'm a I'm the I'm an expert and I'm a professional, which is a, a um, uh, fixed mindset. There's no space to grow and learn if you believe that that that's what you are. Versus uh, the mindset of oh I'm a professional and that means I'm continuing to learn. Because um, I think a lot of, you know, we take so seriously in classical music our, our attention to detail and the specificity, sorry, excuse my language, specificity of what we do, this idea of thinking of ourselves as amateurs or beginners or learners is really, um, a lot of people struggle with that idea. And then when they might come to a point in their lives when things they choose or um, are required to change, they can't see themselves being in that messy beginner phase of something um but you've spoken so beautifully about how it was your um the fascination that you had um with the woodwork that really led you on this journey absolutely so two things that you said intrigued me one is uh dancers and their transition because dancers have a very time-limited career for the most part I mean, yes, I've been in touring orchestras with very old dancers who lead dance companies, but for the most part, you know, at 30 or 35, your career is over. And so I think it's very important that they teach beyond what, what the specific career is. Um, and the other thing I was gonna say is I mean, even now, 37 years into my career, 
a couple of years ago, I decided that I needed to expand what I know about woodworking and have been diving into completely different areas of what I do because it's just fascinating to be able to experience this learning and exploration of something new. And at this point I have the resources to soak things up very quickly. But I think because I understood how to learn early on, that was also my approach as a very beginner um, in my first year doing the same thing. And it's just very exciting to, to be in my 37th year and feel just as excited about what is ahead here. I wonder, Jeff, if you've used the word, um, which I love, fascinating so many, so many times. I wonder, um, are you a fan of Ben Zander's work, Jeff? Uh, I don't know. Uh, he uses the word how, he uses the word fascinating. Um, I'm wondering if it, it'll be very uh, interesting to see. I, I wonder if there's going to be a change in in the way that young musicians, the way the um, college experience happens for them, is it's it's over the last sort of fifty years been based on a certain canon of works. Sure. And as that is now being, and, and so there's been little, little space for fascination about what else there might be because the fascination was limited to the symphonies of Beethoven. Oh, there's another, you know, I must learn these nine or, you know, it's been really um, ring-fenced to a certain canon. And I'm wondering if the, the push that we're seeing around the globe about um, uplifting marginalised voices and underrepresented voices and the colleges are responding to that by changing the programming of their repertoire and also being um, required to be uh, addressing diversity, equity and inclusion issues in their staffing. I wonder if this will actually start to open the eyes of our little, of the little world of classical music and help the students develop this sense of fascination and curiosity because their world is not limited to a slice of Western Europe, European culture from two decades ago. I, I think I think it's going to be really interesting once as as this students who are living through this change now and seeing the change happen, and this this matriculation of the ones who are in the system now over the next um, five to ten years. If we're actually going to see, and obviously COVID has significantly changed the way that musicians' working models operate. Um, if, if this is really the end of the way things, seriously, the end of the way things used to be, and hopefully a dawn of a new age of musicians being much more um, globally aware and curious about what might exist for them rather than being passengers in their own experience and just um, being led to believe that will that the phone will ring for them and things will magically be okay. It's going to be it's a really fascinating time, I think for these young musicians coming through the program right now? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think the, the program that I was in, I went to Eastman School of Music for graduate school and they had wonderful jazz in particular. And 
I mean, the jazz musicians were supremely talented people. Um, of course, almost everybody was was rather talented there. But um, that, you know, that to me was certainly a source of interest. Um, but I was furiously studying the canon also. So I, I don't know. I hope I hope those changes do something mm. um, in terms of fostering the creativity and also fostering the curiosity. Mm, I think that's one of the, the key things. We're starting to see some of the schools of music having a clear set of values um, and competencies that they want to foster in their students. And the schools that are thinking in this way are are leading with things like um, curiosity, um, self-sufficiency, mm -hmm. uh, a, a sense of exploration, musical exploration. So there's a few schools who are really leading the way in this rather than, you know, being able to play the Arben all the way through from memory is um, what type of humans, how, how do we want to describe the humans who've had the experience of learning music with us um, because we can't prescribe what they do but they're starting to realize that that's that's actually a falsehood and really damaging so therefore how do we equip them with the tools to navigate for themselves rather than setting here's the cookie cutter expectation that you will achieve when you get out so there are some schools doing some good work in that area um Jeff, just i'd really so you go sorry I always felt in, in music and then also in, in what I'm doing now with the, the design and the, and the craftsmanship that your personality winds up being a, a, either a barrier or a help to what you're doing. And you can't get around that. No amount of practice gets you beyond yourself. And, and that that was something I ran up against in music, and uh, I'm actually happier now um, doing what I do. To this day, all of my anxiety dreams have to do with music. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, almost never with woodworking. Oh, Jeff, that's hilarious. Um, I say that too. This the. The, um, all of the musicians that I work with is, as you were saying, no, no amount of practice gets you around yourself is you can choose to be an and person. So Jeff's really great and he's really reliable and he's really professional and he's really great on the horn. That's, you know, that's what leads to great building of great relationships and opportunity. If you choose to be a butt person, Jeff's a great trumpet player, but Hmm. that's the stuff that, that leads to, um, they're, they're, that's career limiting choices. So are you going to choose to be an and person or are you going to choose to be a butt person? And once you get a butt attached to you, it's really hard to get rid of that butt because everybody talks to everybody else in the sector. <laughs> um, Jeff, I'd just love to, just, if we just reverse back one, one, one more question about um, all those years ago, uh, when you were diagnosed with your illness and you were, you were saying you were working, you were freelancing and you were working with the brass quintet, I'm imagining that much of your social 
network would have been connected to music making. Mm-hmm. So what happened when you when those kind of collisions between your in your social network that you meet people at gigs and rehearsals what happened when you were unable to do that about your social network oh I was still friends with a large number of musicians for a long time still am but um my social network started to grow based on doing new things and um made completely different friends and you know what it, it's really interesting in that way um i have a number of friends who are woodworker something else couples and dinner with the, that group is always much more fun um so but I'm still in touch with plenty of plenty of woodworkers, and uh, I'm sorry, plenty of musicians and plenty of former musicians also. So, who so went I, on to do other things? It's fascinating because I think that's a barrier that a lot of um, either freelance musicians or full-time musicians that their social network is so tightly intertwined with their work. Um, are really anxious about is well who will my friends be if I'm not seeing them at work every day or you know in all the interactions we have in the you know in the coffee house next to the rehearsal hall and all those places that we just bump into each other all the time and I think that's actually quite it's 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 quite a significant issue for people to um yeah that people have around who who is my who are my friends going to be so Jeff we've talked a little bit about um all of the, the incredible work that your life in woodworking has given you, but I'd love to hear maybe a little bit more about, are there any other ways that we haven't gotten around that you think your music training helps you in this work that you do now? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was never a composer in music, but I definitely feel like as a designer, I'm a composer and so many of the things that I learned in music theory and as a performer dealing with line and um, motifs and you know the way things pull together all of that impacts my design in in the making of the furniture um, you know the detail orientation that I had was a big deal. Um, I think of my work as, as music still. Um, and uh, incidentally name many of my chairs after types of musical compositions. Um, but it, it has a big impact. It also has an impact on how I teach. Um, Maybe I'm emulating some of my early and best teachers, but I tend to teach people how to use their body to best express their ideas in furniture. And that's how I learned to use my instrument. Um, These are all just tools for expression. It's not 
uh, it's not about technique that has to vanish into the background to get you somewhere. So yes, I, I feel like that training has been instrumental in so many different ways in, in what I do now. And, uh, you know, I don't have any desire to pick up my instrument and play anymore. I love to listen to music on a daily basis, but I am still creating in, in some ways creating musically. I absolutely love all of what you just said and that phrase about um, that you, you, you teach people to use their bodies to best express their ideas and also that they're just tools for expression is, is everything. And if we, if, even if one person listening hears this and, and that is their aha moment that, oh, what I have learnt and what I have um, a degree of mastery, what I have mastered and continue to strive to master is using different tools to express my ideas. And then, you know, whatever your interest is, if that's going to be a craftsman or you're going to be a Java developer or a marketing and communications expert or work for Netflix, that, that's what whatever you, that's is. whatever it is, that's the thing that you have. You've been doing it through your voice or through your instrument or through your compositions or through your research even. Um, but that's what you have is a, a, a honed set of tools to express your ideas is, mm -hmm. oh, we should get that printed on T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amazing. So, Jeff, you said uh, that you listen to music every day. I wanted to to ask you what so what role does music play in your life now? You mean more than what I just said? Yeah. Is it like what purpose <laughs> I mean, does what purpose does it serve for you? Yeah. Yeah, at all the time. The the local classical music station is on all the time, except during the current fund drive, and then I have to rely on my own music collection. Um, I haven't been to a concert, obviously, in, in a little while, although um, I have taken to watching, you know, the video concerts from the whole variety of, of orchestras and chamber music societies and chamber orchestras around the world. And that's been delightful. Um, it's, it, you know, it's still a, a huge part of what I do, although I have, I still have my instruments, but I have no desire really to play anymore. Isn't it? I, that's what I have found fascinating in, in, in my journey too, is that as I've also as, as we just spoke about before, understanding that what you that what we are skilled in is expressing our ideas, is that the the more I do that across different domains in my work, the less obsession and and anxiety I have about playing the instrument, and um, I still play and I, I freelance professionally when I can, but I have no. <laughs> 
don't tell anybody, but I have no desire to practice. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I, what I've, I've never, and that's partly been my, like my, I come, I come from a community music making background. So music making for me has always been about sharing in the moment with others, not about locking myself in a practice room, striving for perfection. Um, and what I find is the, the, the more avenues I experiment with in expressing my ideas, the better my relationship with the instrument and actually the better I play. And I'm, I'm not match fit. You know, I couldn't pull up a mala right now. Um, mm -hmm. But the, 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 the song line and, and the storytelling and the phrasing and the quality of the sound, the stories that I'm telling through the instrument are so authentic and without filter now in a way that I never could have imagined when it was all I was trying to do. It's also, as we get older and have heard so much more music and mature as people um, and change as people, I think we just get better at some of those things. Um, but I guess the last time I picked up my instrument was my son, adult son, asked me, about playing the trumpet you know he was interested and so we sat down together and it was it was pretty appalling i mean trumpet is so physical it's so it's you know so much based on lip muscles in addition to whatever you're intending to do and it was atrocious it really was but jeff did you have fun oh and it was it was great fun oh, there of you course. go <laughs> Uh, I, and that's, I think that's the most important thing. Imagine if, you know, all of us in, in, in classical music where it is so much about uh, perfection and attention to detail, if instead we said, well, the most important thing is that, that I, must be, I must be enjoying it, even if it is a challenge, and I must be expressing and connecting that joy to the audience. Because then, you know, all the, the bips and the flips and it just, it goes by. It, it, we, we start to understand that we start to accept that as being part of the process rather than being flaws and imperfections and and focusing on that stuff and it's really damaging for us we can get to we can get to the corrections later um, but often we go straight to the you know all the mistakes instead of acknowledging the 99.9 percent .9 that was absolutely stunning of what we do right right um so Jeff, I would love to just, just in closing here from you, you are clearly, you're a gifted teacher and a gifted communicator. Um, so whether it's music or whether it's woodwork, what is something that you love to instill in the learners that you are working with in whatever discipline that is? I, it, and I guess I've said it already that there's so much to learn and it's so exciting to learn it. Um, and that's my own personal sense of, of where I'm going. And that's one of the things I try to convey is that this just goes on forever. And um, you, can, you can always learn more, you can always uh, express yourself better. You can always 
be more perfect if you want, but but there's so much more out there and it's so exciting to see that and explore it and attempt to, to get there. Uh, Jeff, it's been an absolute gift um, listening to you today and learning from you and with all of the expertise that you have in teaching and communication across lots of domains. Um, I hope that everyone listening has taken away some, some really wonderful thoughts, especially, you know, what struck me is this, the tools for expression and how we choose to apply those being up to us uh, is a real gift. So thank you so much for your time. I'm going to put links to anything we mentioned in the show notes, um, but I wish you all the best in your journey and thank you for the teaching uh, and the sharing of your knowledge that you do with those who uh, have the opportunity to work with you. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been a delight talking with you. It really has. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please help me share these stories by sharing this with others. You can post about it on your socials, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or you can leave me a rating and a review about this podcast. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Notable Values. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time.